One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome back to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. Uh, you know, I always start off by saying it's a crazy week and this is going to be uh, no difference. It was in uh, Buffalo uh, earlier this week working with a client. We'll be returning to that client to Buffalo next week and then heading out to Los Angeles on Wednesday uh, to be part of the Leadership Institute meetings uh, for PMI, the Project Management Institute. So for those of you that are listening, going to be in Los Angeles, look us up. We'll be there. Uh, the week following that, we've got a business trip uh, for Orlando, but we're starting to release uh, details around what's going on in Orlando. So I am uh, an executive producer slash project manager uh, for the official Mickey Mouse Club reunion, uh, which is going to be happening in Orlando uh, in like May, uh, I believe, 19th. Um, and so we're getting all of the contracts signed, all the details finalized, and going to start uh, October 2nd releasing packages uh, to to purchase so that you can come be a part of it with us. So uh, we'll be out in Orlando um, so the week after next. Um, and then we've got a few other speaking engagements coming up, but uh, we'll we'll get into those later time. I got a lot of positive feedback and just a lot of conversations uh, about last week's show uh, that was sent to me by by listeners and, and people that that participate as we were talking about agile clowns and, and kind of how to stop them. So um, I thought I'd, I'd reverse it a little bit and just talk about uh, agile failures and, and what are the common ones that we're seeing um, out in the marketplace and, and what you can really do to be able to help avoid a lot of these things. And so we're going to talk about failures at different levels and we'll start and jump right into the show about talking uh, around failures at organizational levels. And so, you know, again, it, it's always, it's always uh, a huge thing when you switch methodology. But I think Agile becomes so misunderstood because most people think that you can just do Agile in a small team and we're going to get code faster and then the output is, is fine. And that's, that's not the case. Um, what we're seeing quite a bit is, is you actually have to teach um, Agile as a mindset throughout the organization um, as well as put in your methodology. And so um, the, the big thing, well, starting an organizational layer um, that we're seeing is, number one is failure to articulate any kind of vision. Now what's funny is I, as we start to, to go through and categorize these failures, they're often the same failures that uh, people were having in traditional waterfall project management. And so they think switching to agile is going to solve these problems. And it's not. Um, we have to have a vision of where we're going. If you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there, right, is, is the saying. So um, not having a vision in the first place to clearly articulate where we're going is going to cause a huge um, agile failure. But I, I think even bigger than that is the thought pattern that we already know what we need to build. And so... Uh, a lot of people will, we, when we select projects, um, a lot of times we've already selected a solution. We already think we know how things are going to work and we try to implement that. And what happens inevitably is something or one of those assumptions fails. And therefore, we're trying to figure out how to essentially restart the project um, while 
you know, not restarting the clock or restarting the budget. So um, what's interesting is what Agile really is designed to do is to help um, make the unknowns known. And so um, I was working with a client this past week and we were in a meeting and they kept saying, well, if we do this, if we do this, if this happens, we can do this. If we do this, that, and I was like, wait, we got to have some dependencies and cards so that we don't say if as much as, as we need to, right? What we need to say is um, we're going to go validate this assumption. And then based on that assumption, we'll go somewhere else. That's the same thing as an if statement, right? Except that we're actually putting work into clearing the unknowns versus pushing the unknowns down the road until we actually get into implementation. And so um, we know what we want to do. We don't necessarily know what we need to build. And so therefore you don't go through, um, you know, a lot of times they'll skip product discovery. The, the biggest thing I think they skip more than anything is, is basically the failure mode. Um, and what I mean by that is the, the organization needs to be optimized for a rapid build, test, learn culture so that departments moving at different speed levels can, uh, can work with each other. And so the resulting friction of, of things like that um, is likely to, to nullify any of the agile gains, right? So if the whole culture is not set up for rapid build, test, learn, and where that really comes into play too is around what we call the culture of failure. And, and you can use different terms for whatever you want, but we actually in Agile want to find all the failure points early so that we can make different decisions and move forward. Um, I always I, I give a great example of this. We, um, we're, we're recreating a huge um, new way to search for resources for, for a, a client of ours. And they have in another database uh, a lot of like the resume information and things that that we're supposed to utilize. And, and so the first question we really had was, is, is there too much data in that system to bring to our system so that we could code all the searching directly within the tool or are we gonna have to create some sort of external uh, API to, to call on that other system? That was a big unknown, but obviously it had a lot of impacts either way of how we were going to approach the work. So we put that into our very first sprint. We just started getting the data to see if we could import it, see if we could get to a point of failure or even better, point of success. So now that unknown of direction, uh, we, we, could, we could pivot and, and you know, make it a known and go from there. Why I tell that story is because in traditional project management, we would have made the call of either API or import and then just gone after it. The agile methodology allowed us to to pilot, to test, to fail, to learn from the failures, failures, to figure out some of these things that we may have to dig into, but do that so early in the project uh, that not only do you have time to adjust, one of the things I always like to throw out to everybody is so that we can have time to say, this may not be the right project. I mean, sometimes you're so far down the path when you bump into any one of these failures that you start to... Um, have sunk cost into the project. So you start, you know, trying to rationalize and that kind of stuff. Well, in an agile methodology, if you take your highest risk items first and test some things and get to a failure point, that could be a very good thing because we could turn around and say, you know what, there's too much risk here. This isn't going to work. Let's kill the project now versus 
pushing it out. So those these are some of the things that you know we really need to discuss and be ready for at an organizational level all the way up to the executives in order to be success. So, so far what we've talked about is not having a product vision. We talked about um, kind of the idea of you already know what to build, so we don't need to do any kind of discovery or hypothesis, hypothesis testing, and that there's no real culture of failure, right? If you don't allow a culture of failure, by the way, um, and don't allow us to, to, to try things and, and be wrong in that perspective, then you're not really going to allow your team to, to bust outside of their comfort zones um, they're just going to play safe. They're just going to put things out there that they know are going to work. It may not be the best way to work, but they know it's not going to fail. And that's not always the thing that we're, we're really trying to do. I think um, the biggest issue organizationally that I'm seeing personally, though, is not only the selection, but the selection and execution of a product uh, manager, the product owner, right? And what ends up happening is, is, they generally will select somebody who maybe is a business expert but doesn't know how to talk to development teams or vice versa. Maybe they were the business analyst for the development team, but they're not necessarily understanding the business. That product owner role is so important to be able to make decisions and have clear transparency. One of the interesting things I just ran into with a client, though, was the product owner was phenomenal, but the sales organization wasn't allowing the product owner to get to the customers and, and therefore prevented teams from learning. And so they, there wasn't that clear transparency all the way through the customer because sales were, was kind of blocking it and saying, no, these are our people. So um, we've got to have not only great product owners, but great visibility to the end user, whether that be internal or external user. The other thing that I see organizationally is that other departments kind of uh, – they, they don't involve um, the, the product management portion from the start or vice versa, the agile teams not interacting with the external departments well. And so typical behavior in kind of large organizations is, is that silo thinking, right? They, they do local projects or really focus on what they're supposed to do without really any regard to overall company strategy. And a lot of times it's not even that they're disregarding corporate strategy or company strategy, but it's more that they're not aware of how their piece fits into the overall whole. And so what ends up happening is you get then driven by your individual incentives or personal agendas. And that may be, may not always align with what it is that we're doing at a corporate level. Um, and so that can really cause some, some key failure. And um, the, the, the last piece that we'll talk about here and we'll, we'll take a quick um break is, is that senior management needs to be involved um, in, in agile processes. I, I, I was with the client um, just the other day. It was really cool to watch the executives come in and out because instead of attending eight different meetings to, to find out progresses of eight different initiatives, they had three core initiatives that they were working on and they were able to pop in and, and hear the pieces that they really wanted to hear about the overall progress of all efforts versus an individual uh, project effort. So I think if we can align a strategy in, in, in which we are communicating almost, you know, all the relevant things into a smaller meeting, we will get that senior management um, buy-in and, and get them to, to join the meetings. Um, but even when we do that, if they're not participating in the agile processes, like they're not coming to sprint demos or 
they're they're doing something else, then they're not getting the push reporting, right? They're getting the pull reporting. And a lot of times that pull reporting is still based on waterfall principles and it doesn't align. So confusion comes in, everybody starts to to kind of get mad at each other and people start demanding certain things or driving um, the project away from the agile processes. So those are some of the main things that we're seeing at the organizational level. Um, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about um, what I'm seeing at team levels, what we're seeing at process levels, and, and even sometimes just overall. So um, we're talking about uh, common agile failures this week. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back and listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back to these, the Work-Life Balance this Friday. Um and as you can tell, I've had a lot going on. It's a little crazy. Um, but we're getting into common agile failures. And we talked about the organizational level in the last segment. 
let's start talking about this at a team level. And there's really two main points I like to make here. There's a, there's a ton of reasons, um, but there, there's two main points. Um, the first one is what we call agile theater. And agile theater is when we say, you know, maybe we're just taking a development team, but not the rest of the teams uh, are, are going agile. But even within the team, there's a lot of agile theater. And, and what happens is, the, the, the teams will organize, they'll, they'll follow the agile rules, but they do it kind of uh, mechanically, right? Without understanding why these processes were defined in the first place. And so what ends up happening is there's no improvement over the previous process, right? Even though we're following all of the agile rules, we're, we're holding the ceremonies, we're trying to, to break work up into two weeks and, you know, all of those different things. And so what ends up happening and I see it often, I call agile fatigue. What agile fatigue is, is it fits right in with, with agile theater, um, is that because there's no improvement over the previous process, even though they're following it, and because they don't really understand why they're doing a lot of the following of this process, then you'll see the morale and productivity go down. And um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sharp decline because you'll see a lot of excitement around Agile. When you come in, you start to train an organization, you say, this is what we're going to do. A lot of people buy in. A lot of people get really excited. Um, the, the problem is, is it doesn't become consistent. And so as John Maxwell says, right, consistency is, is key to, to success. One of the greatest words you can be called is, is consistent, even though that's not something that we often seek to be uh, called. But because... Uh, they're not getting the results in an immediate fashion or fast fashion, then you'll see that morale and productivity start to go down, that enthusiasm wanes. And so now they're just kind of mechanically doing, you know, the, the process, but not really getting any of the results. And part of the reason for this, though, is, is teams aren't organizing properly. Because part of, of building an agile team is not assigning these six people to a team you've got to allow a little bit of a self-forming, making them understand who they need on a team and then supplying it that way as well. And if, if they're a member, right, of, let's, let's say it this way. If I assign the team members, then I'm accountable for what I assigned. But if they become self-organizing and they're pulling that in, that gives them the accountability. Um, and basically then, you know, they're accepting the responsibility for the performance and, and build that sense of urgency for delivering value uh, creation. But when we assign a team, essentially we're creating a group. And um, I saw a great example. I wish I wish I could remember the article. Uh, I saw a great example, but basically they said um, that a group is more like people waiting at a bus stop. So they're at the same time in the same place for the same purpose, but that doesn't necessarily result in forming a team. So we're all there to catch the same bus. We're all going in the same direction, but nobody's really talking to each other or, or really con figuring out a better way to travel. We're all there. We've already made the decision. We're just trying to figure out when are we going to get on the bus. Um, so being at the, the same place for the same purpose at the same time does not result in, in forming a team. And what will happen from there is, so now they're really not part of the self-forming team. They, they, the enthusiasm is starting to wear off. And then team members will start to uh, uh, abandon Agile, but they'll do it quietly. 
they'll they'll believe it's it's a fad that's that's only going to be here for a little bit. Um, it's not, you know, that it's essentially going to fail. So they're just going to do kind of what they want to do, and they're just waiting or writing it out. And that's what what I see often, probably the most often in teams is is that lack of understanding of really training the why. Um, and so one of the things that we talk about all the time is to include team building and be intentional in team building because just because you put a group of people together and say you're a team doesn't mean anything's going to happen. You have to be intentional all the way through to truly build out uh, what it is that, you, that you're looking for in, in building a very perform, high-performing team. Um, other issues that we see, you know, team members may not be, you know, again, adequately staffed. Um, we're not filled. Uh, we're, we're having people play the product owner and scrum master roles, and we're not really filling them out uh, properly. Um, or we're keeping the teams uh, really small, so they're not really cross-functional. So really, again, all we've done is call that department or that group a different name, and we're expecting different results, but we haven't really done anything to shake up the group. Um, so that's something that that we see often um, another key thing is people are still operating in their distributed team mentality, right? So, I mean, part of, of Agile is to really start looking forward, doing, you know, grooming, sprint planning sessions, those kinds of things. Um, and I see this often at organizations where we don't really start talking about the next PI until, you know, the day before the day of the demo of the current PI. And so, therefore, we're really pulling tasks versus having tasks that are well-groomed, well-defined that we could just grab and pick up and do our next sprint plan with. Um, so therefore um, it, it, they're not really opening, they're not really operating um, in a, in a combined fashion. They're still distributed. They're still, you know, what is my task? What do I have to do? Um, I just know I have to have that done by Friday. So there we go. You know, another, um, kind of key visual indicator of this is if if you're trying to get some sort of commitment of features or epics, they all end as the same date of the PI. That is a distributed methodology. That's that's basically saying, well, I've got this whole scope of work. I got to do all of this work and therefore um, I can't tell you when it's going to be finished, but we'll get it done by the PI. That's That's not the point of it. The point of it is to confirm assumptions, break down the work packages, make sure that you're understanding um, everything that we're doing so that we can move it you know, forward and understand progress. So they're still approaching it, not in the agile mindset. They're still just kind of approaching it um, as you know, things that they've got to um, do, right? It's still, it's still just a bunch of a list of tasks with a due date. I think agile um, teams, the, uh, the other thing that we see is, is we commit to an agile team, but then we pull resources off, you know, oh, it's emergencies or, oh, they got support or, oh, they got to do this. Um, and when you're pulling them on short notice, even if it's real, right, even if it's a technical reason, it has an impact um, negatively on team performance and morale. So it's, it's interesting to see, um, the commitment to not only allow the teams to be self-organizing, but let them um, kind of pick the, the the team that they need, um, allow them to start 
uh, failing and, and doing testing and doing architecture spikes and things like that and uh, keep them together, right? So those are, those are the, a lot of the things that we're seeing um, at a team uh, level. Now, the other thing I think um, is interesting because uh, I'll walk into an organization, they'll say, you know, these two teams over here are working really well. These two teams are not. And they kind of just thought because we were going agile, all four teams should be operating at, at full efficiency. And then you start to dig into the team and, and you find out that, um, that there's not the right mix of senior positions or junior positions, that kind of stuff. And so what's happening is the teams that aren't performing are still kind of wanting the micromanagement as part of their training. They, they kind of um, they can't really understand or grasp the product as much as they can even understand and grasp the process. So they're kind of sitting around waiting for people to, to tell them what to do versus actively participating and creating and moving the, the project towards a goal. So um, these are kind of things to, to watch out for because even if you've done your job at an executive layer and done a really good job of, of uh, defining everything, um, the teams still have to be able to uh, decide what that is. And, and so a lot of times I get into conversations with companies about certain roles. And so you'll have like, you know, the, the release train engineer, you'll have the, the program manager role, you'll have scrum masters if you're not using RTE. Um, and they kind of all start to struggle with, well, who's supposed to do what? what? Who's supposed to control what? And there needs to be a nice line of, you know, you've got your, your senior management that's developing the strategy. That strategy should be measurable. The, the program manager is in line with that strategy because we're not sure which team is going to be able to execute against the strategy until we define it and know what it is. Now that that's defined, that program manager kind of becomes your translator between the executive and uh, the, the engineering and architecture team and, and the scrum masters. So they start to speak in a language that those people can understand all traceable back to the strategy. Well, then that architect and scrum master, they need to be able to then have a clear line to say, this is our epic. We're taking this. This is what we're going to do. Here are the features. Um, and if there's a lot of confusion, meaning things are too broad, then that's when you have to start stepping outside of the rules a little bit to make sure that we're defining things to a layer in which activity can be planned. Um, just because we say this is an epic, this is a feature, doesn't mean necessarily you have to follow that, that logic and rule all the way through. Just your guiding rules is, right, epic shouldn't really cross, uh, you know, PIs and features you want to try to make sure it can fit into a sprint, whatever length that is. Um, but through that definition, uh, what will end up happening is you finally get it down to a team and then there's too many junior people on the team to be able to understand what the action or activity or what the tasks are to, to make that happen. So a lot of communication things there. Um, but I think the core of, of the issue is, is really, again, following the process without understanding why. And so then when you don't see the improvement over the previous process, then you start to abandon the whole agile methodology. That's what I'm seeing um, most often with, with companies that are struggling in their Agile implementation. When we come back, we'll talk about what some of the process uh, issues can be um, and just you know some, what some people are saying are their most important challenges that they're dealing with 
in their agile implementation. So we will do that when we come back. We're going to take another break right here. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the third segment of the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about common agile failures um, at different levels. And um, there's a lot of information out here that, that we're trying to share, and I'm trying to be uh, as open as possible. Uh, so we talked about it at the organizational level first, team level next. Now we're going to talk about the process level. Um, and again, it, it aligns a lot with the team because uh, how we're doing the team stuff um, also kind of lies on the process stuff. Because as we, we just described, that if the team doesn't understand the process, doesn't understand the why, then the enthusiasm for going agile will start to wane and they won't see um, the, the success or, or the you know, progress over the previous process. 
And that really starts to occur at a process level. So for instance, um, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask is what type of agile methodology are you following? And they go, well, we've kind of done our own. And when they do that, well, we've kind of done our own. What, what they've really done is, is kind of um, pick and choose some of the things they wanted to do. And they left out other elements. And most likely because, to be fair, they didn't understand. But we kind of have to look at everything that we're doing as much as everything that we're not doing. So again, one of the key things I just pointed out uh, in the previous segment was making sure that we're intentional about team building. Well, the same you know, happens from a management perspective. Like they'll abandon uh, the, the self-organization of the team um, or the, the actual PI the moment a critical problem appears to, to form. Right. So, so instead, you know, we're, we're doing this project, a critical problem happens and people go, Oh, it's not going to work. And they flip out of the methodology and start to go after specific things um, versus allowing the learning and the culture of that, that failure to, to help grow the organization so that we can avoid it the next time. Um, the processes will, they'll become bent um, or just flat out. They won't do it if it, if they don't see how it's going to benefit them. So they're, so one of the things that, that we're seeing quite a bit is, is a lack of discipline in, in following uh, the process itself. And, and that's why we keep saying that Agile is a mindset. It's not a methodology. It's, it, it, there are several methodologies that you can follow, and I don't care if you pick and choose between the different methodologies, as long as the process of what we're doing really is intact. Because, you know, a lot of these processes um, – you know, they're, they're, they're a living and breathing thing. So let, let's take like product backlog, right? That's something that people will see that in a methodology as part of a process that we're going to do, you know, our, our product backlog grooming once a week, and this is how we're going to do it. Well, it's not really a, a, a once a week thing. It's something that we should be constantly doing is grooming that backlog. And so essentially what will happen is, is instead of it being a continuous cycle, what we do is we create that as like a task in the sprint. Hey, we got to do grooming. And then all we're really doing is, you know, creating another waterfall process for us to follow. It's, it's by just simply creating a task without the intent, then people don't really understand. Um, the other thing that, that we'll see from a process perspective is kind of the lack of accountability um, of senior management to holding to the process as well. So they're used to just being able to go grab Billy. Billy's going to do it because Billy always does it for me. So um, I don't really want to go through this whole process. I don't want to rank it, whatever. I'm a senior manager. I have the authority, so I'm just going to go grab Billy. Um, but but that kind of stuff is is um, really detrimental to a team. And, and of course, the team looks at that and says, well, you know, if that's the way it's going to work. Why are we doing any of this at all? And, um, you know, as we said before, too, we've really got to spend a lot of time on the team communication workshops and create a shared understanding of what is to be built, not to be prescriptive into telling everybody what we're doing, like, hey, go build this. It's here's what we really want to do. Um, what's the best way for us to build it? And that's that's when people feel like it. Um, I, I see um, I work with organizations, they'll say, well, the team doesn't like doing these smaller tasks because they really want to be part of these bigger tasks where we're defining things and, and creating the strategy. And I was like, that should be something that we're doing 
across the board all the time, not just, you know, certain people get to do it. Um, and so when you see that, then you, then you know that there's not enough time uh, on team communications and workshops that they don't understand what, you know, how their piece fits into the overall whole. So they feel like they're being left out um, if they don't get an opportunity to follow that stuff. So that's, that's, you know, what we're seeing quite a bit. Um, and it, the, the scrum master and product owner roles are so important. It's so important. Um, you know, and, and we've got to be able to ask questions, not only of the organization, but of the person that's coming in, right? This comes back to the Agile Clowns um, conversation that we had last week. But I mean, we really need to be asking a lot of great questions um, to the people that are supposed to be Scrum Master. You know, you, it's not just, hey, are, you know, can you organize? What's your temperament? I mean, you need to start asking things like, you know, what, what are the key metrics that we can track um, or what key metrics do you already have in place uh, that, that demonstrate agile practices are working for, for, the, for the organization, right? Um, which, which one of these would you demonstrate, you know, that your efforts at agile are succeeding, Right, we got to get into a lot of these different questions. Um, at the same time, I think a scrum master coming into an organization um, needs to have several questions to understand where the organization is. I mean, like uh, you start asking questions like, how long does the grooming of a typical user story take? Um, how are you creating your user stories? What's the age of a user story in the product backlog? You know, where are you discussing these user stories in? You know, um, do, do, you, do you have things in, in, you know, user stories that none of the team members, you know, know what it means? Um, and how are you, you know, defining uh, when you're done, right? Things like that, I, th I think, are really important to start to shed some light on where the organization is, right? Then the flip side, the organization should be able to say, um, you know, what's your view of writing acceptance criteria, you know, uh, how often... Do you see, you know, yourself wanting to reestimate user stories? Uh, um, you know, what's what's the velocity of the the best team that you worked with? Um, and you can even do some testing questions, like um, you know, should a Scrum master remove impediments on behalf of the Scrum team? Um, and you know, based on the answers that we start to get, you'll start to see some really cool things. Like a perfect question to ask, and you ask it both of a scrum master and a product owner, but it starts to already define your team commitment is just how should a scrum master communicate with a product owner, right? What should you do? And I mean, so if they're not coming back and saying things like, you know, we're communicating honestly, openly, um, it's a cooperative effort, we're both servant leaders, um, we both, uh, you know, depend on each other to work reciprocally and, and uh, we're allies to, to coaching the organization, um, then, you know, they really haven't been in that collaborative environment. Uh, and the reason being, for those of you that some of this may be completely foreign to is, right, a product owner is responsible for getting prompt feedback on the product matters, right? They clarify goals. Um, they ensure that the entire product delivery team understands the vision of where we're going. 
the, the scrum master, right, supports the product owner in building a high value backlog. Um, and that must facilitate the collaboration between the product owner and the scrum team. Those are kind of the way the, the roles are designed to work. So if they're not being collaborative, they're not discussing things with each other, they're not moving things forward, then, you know, there's your issue between that portion. And, and really, again, that comes back to um, process. Um, you know, one of the other process things that we see all the time as well is, you know, how involved should the team be involved in, or how involved should they be in the, the product discovery process? And I mean, the answer is always the sooner the better. Now, granted, you know, teams are, are trying to run busy, but at the same time, you have to be intentional to make sure that there's time allotted for this. And, and there's really kind of two reasons. I mean, the sooner they participate in the, the process, um, then the more opportunity they have to pursue multiple solutions that um, may or may not be technically viable or may or may not, you know, result in a return on investment, but it gives them an opportunity to explore versus, you know, if we're waiting to the last minute, then we're just picking the thing that we would have done and we would do that in project management anyway. But if we also involve them early, it ensures that the team and its product owner get that shared understanding and ownership of what will be built. Right, so this helps us with making sure we have the right resources, um, making sure that resources are working on the right issues, maximizing the value for the customer, uh, and mitigating the risk itself of, of the investment. So, I mean, if we if we involve them early, it ensures their buy-in, their willingness to participate, um, and it provides motivation to the team uh, to participate when when making changes necessary to accomplish the goals defined. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of of reasons. Um, that we should do this. But what what we're learning more than anything is to really start to come up with great questions to ask each one of these roles so that we can assess how well the process uh, of Agile has really been implemented. And beyond that, um, understanding what pieces we really need to focus on in, in order to make sure Agile doesn't fail, which is, in the end, what we're all hoping for. So, um, you know, we, we start to develop questions to, to talk to clients like, you know, how do you promote an agile mindset across departmental boundaries, right? And uh, what about how are we coaching, you know, stakeholders outside of the development process or IT process? So, I mean, th there's a lot of things that um, we can garner from asking those types of questions. And what we're looking for is... Um, you know, that the, the teams can produce evidence that in their presentations, they, they're proving to the stakeholders that it's, it's reducing lead time from idea to product launch. That's one of the biggest reasons. Um, and then they can, you know, demonstrate that they're mitigating risk. But we want to ask these questions so that we can garner the awareness of everybody within the process. So we're going to take our final break right here. We'll come back and close out the show as we're talking about common agile failures. Uh, you're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. 
In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged all while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our final segment of the Work-Life Balance. Uh, we were talking about common agile you know, failures. How about, um, you know, we'll, we'll close this out with, well, we're going agile, but we're not sure if we're really failing or not. And I think a lot of people do, but there are some key questions or, or statements or things that we can look for to see how well agile is being implemented. Um, so, uh, for instance, big, a lot of them, you know, deal with, again, communication and structure. So um, you've got like nobody from the organization talking to customers. Um, your CTO and stakeholders are insisting on every change be approved by them in advance versus allowing the teams to, to implement, you know, changes and things that they think uh, should, should work. Um, you see, you know, stakeholders going past the product owner to talk directly to the CTO or CIO um, and not involving the product owner. And, and speaking of that, you know, that, that product owner becomes such a, a driven role, but you'll see things like, you know, sales teams promising things to customers, but they didn't involve the product owner. So it's just being thrown over the wall or um, they don't have, you know, access to business intelligence to help make informed decisions or um, they're, you know, people are communicating to the product owner and engineering in the form of requirements documents versus, you know, having the open discussion 
um, you see scrum teams that are that are changing in size and composition. Um, that's kind of a key area. Um, developers are not uh, participating in user story creation. Um, there's a a scrum team that just does bugs or minor change requests. These are all kind of keys that you could actually go through and start to determine if this is happening, then something's wrong, right? Um, the features that, that you're creating, that there's not a, an agreement on the value, but they're still being pushed through to, to make sure things are happening. Um, deadlines or fixed schedules are still in use for, for like non-critical issues. Um, these are all things that, that start to, to drive you. Um, and I think one of my favorites that, that I see in all of these um, is that retrospectives, right, which is, is supposed to be, if we're in an agile mindset, we're having a retrospective, we're supposed to be putting ideas out there of how to constantly improve the process. But there's so many organizations that see that retrospective and they feel like they have to do it to check the box to say they're following the agile process, but you don't see any changes that are brought up in these retrospectives and followed through. So that's a key area when you start to see this, um, whether or not you know, you're, you're being successful in your agile transformation. Um, and then there's always a lot of of uh, argument or discussion around the velocity, which is the amount of work that's being completed to the team to meet the commitment. And that's really no different than, than doing a waterfall process. It, it, it's supposed to ebb and flow. We're supposed to, to be able to work through it. And again, we want to make a commitment so that people understand what we're going after, but that commitment is all based on you know, how we understand the user story, what it is that we're doing, and whether or not we've had enough time to fully vet the technical process. So if all of your focus is on, you know, did we, did we meet our commitment every sprint, um, then we're focusing on the wrong thing, especially, again, coming back to the retrospectives. Um, if we're not doing our retrospectives regularly and changing things based on the retrospectives, then, again, why, why do it? So these are kind of some of the key things um, that you can see when, when your people are saying they're agile, but these are great things to start to, to dive into to see how well that process is being followed. Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of information that we went through on this. Tons of reasons for failures. Tons of reasons for, for things. We talked about questions to ask to your scrum master, questions to ask uh, product owner, and really how to look at the process itself. Um, all of this, we're happy to help. Uh, one of the things that I've really loved about this Voice America community is people are, are sending feedback. They're asking questions, and, and that's generating conversation and content for the show to make sure that we're answering a lot of these questions. Um, and, and so a case in point, the even reason why I did this show is the feedback we got is that that's great that, that we hired an agile clown or we had a clown. Um, but what does the organization really need to be looking at and where does the organization fail? And this is a more common issue than we think. I mean, some of the, the reports that we're getting is, is over 90% of agile transformations have failed for one reason or the other. And we could probably break that down into about 15 core issues um, that would be common across all those organizations. Um, and so this is a, a prevalent issue. It is something that, that we're continuing to, to work through. Um, 
but that that the number one reason for failure out of all of this, I think more than anything is the lack of understanding of what agile is because there's so much buzz out there right now that if you go agile, we're going to be faster. And I think that in relative pieces where we're looking at the fact that we had too many initiatives and, you know, we had 17 projects going on, we didn't have the people to do it. So in the landscape of, of that, Agile is faster. Um, Agile, though, is supposed to be clearing impediments, improving the process. It's supposed to be um, uh, getting to a fail faster um, so that maybe we take the project off the board. All of those different things that, that we should be doing, those are all mindset issues. So if the mindset of the organization, and the number one question to ask is, why did you go Agile? If the answer was because we wanted things done faster, that's your number one cultural issue that, that's going to prevent the success. If it's we want to remove waste, we want to eventually become faster, um, we want to uh, self-organize and really um, start to be able to handle some of these issues that we've been having um, in a different manner, then that's the right answer, right? That's, that's what we're looking at Agile to do is to remove waste in a process have better communication, and have more fulfilled teams. It's not so that we can develop faster, right? So I don't, I don't understand why that's the key thing that most people um, look at. It's, it's actually a more disciplined methodology and uh, requires a lot of leadership, a lot of servant leadership in order to be successful. Servant leadership is key because the do it because I said so is is what we have today so that's it i'm, I'm going to wrap up there but um yeah i think that's the number one cause of failure is a lack of understanding of what really agile is and that because we're doing it we're just going to be faster and i know we'll go agile we'll do it faster that's that's not it's not an accurate description so always reach out to me uh, you can find me at twitter at uh rick a morris you can find me on facebook uh, linkedin uh, you can send me an email at rick at rickamorris.com or rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. Again, uh, next week, uh, we will be in Buffalo and then Los Angeles at the Leadership Institute meetings. Uh, the following week, we'll be in Orlando. So if you know we're coming to town, this actually, uh, there, there's a, a great friend of mine. I forgot she lived in Buffalo. So she heard the show and I got a great text that says, hey, I hear you're coming to Buffalo. So we're going to get a chance to, to meet and have dinner. It's exactly why I announce all the locations uh, of where I'm going, because I love to hear from you guys what's going on, what's happening, and what kind of content can we drive that's going to make things better for you. So um, all of that to say, it's been a fantastic week. We love you guys. We appreciate you listening to the Work-Life Balance. We'll be, next, we'll be here next week uh, coming to you from Los Angeles. So we will talk to you then. Hope everybody has a fantastic week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.